This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Absolute honor to have on with me today is uh, he was named NBA Coach of the Year in 1976, uh, coached the Boston Celtics to an NBA title in 1981 against our own Houston Rockets. Uh, he was Houston's coach from 1983 to 88 and is ninth all-time on NBA career win list uh, with 944 wins. Bill Fitch, absolute honor to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. You're welcome, Dave. Good to be with you. Yeah, you know, there's so many questions I have for you. Uh, you coached Kevin McHale as a rookie, Larry Bird as a rookie, Akeem Olajuwon as a rookie, Ralph Sampson as a rookie. Uh, you were known really as a disciplinarian, a guy who came in and, and rebuilt teams quickly. It, the Celtics went from 29 wins to 61 in your first year. Uh, you turned the Rockets around uh, really quickly. What, what do you credit uh, to that being able to come in and, and turn programs around? Well, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of people involved. You know, you've got, you've got your assistant coaches. You've got, your, you've got the players that uh, uh, have got to have some talent for you to dig it out or, or show them how to use it together. That's basically uh, uh, the problem in, in basketball. I think everybody gets a lot of talent together, but they don't always get talent that meshes together and plays together. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, have guys that were willing to pay that price. And, and I think uh, that's, that's the whole, whole key to it. You know, hard work gets you a long ways and Hard work, uh, all pulling a rope in the same direction is, is the answer. You know, the 1981 NBA Finals, uh, great series. Uh, you guys uh, knocked the Rockets off 4-2. Moses Malone, Houston's franchise center at the time, uh, famously said that, quote, Boston ain't that good, uh, and that he could get four guys off the street in Petersburg, Virginia, um, to beat you guys. How much did that serve as motivation for you and, and the Celtics in that series? Well, I think it gave us a lot of laughs in the locker room, and you know, a lot of the players uh, knew Moses and knew that he often come up with some wild, wild statements, and that uh, he was probably fishing when he put that one out. But uh, and he was lying too, because we, we, I believe in recruiting. I, I, I went down there right away, checked those streets. There weren't, there weren't four more guys like him. I'll tell you. <laughs> You know, the, the 1980 trade uh, where you guys, uh, the Celtics, uh, traded the number one pick, which turned out to be Joe Barry Carroll, uh, and a first-rounder for Robert Parrish and the number three pick, which turned out to be Kevin McHale. Uh, in your view, is that possibly the greatest trade in NBA history? Well, I, it's, it's the greatest one I was involved in, and I think it was, uh, if, you, if you list uh, ten trades, it turned uh, uh turn the success of a, of a franchise, uh, you'd have to put that on the, on the, on the list. Uh, you know, anytime you pick a player, I think Jabbar going to Milwaukee was a, was a, a turnaround up there and you'd have to, you'd have to 
there's been a lot of big trades, but uh, I think that uh, Parrish and McHale uh, for Joe B uh, was was a pretty good trade. I'll never forget uh, Billy Packer. Uh, we were sitting down in, uh, at the Olympic trials, and uh, we, we were talking to him, and we disclosed what we were going to do. And, and Billy said, do you mean you're going to trade the the aircraft carrier of the draft? And uh, that was Joe B. Carroll. And I said, I guess we're going to. I hope it doesn't sink. <laughs> we uh, we come out on top of that one. It was a good one. Robert Parrish was, a, was really... I loved him when he was a centenarian. When I was coaching Cleveland, I couldn't we, we couldn't muster up a, a way of getting him. But once he learned to run the court, once he learned to be the first guy down on offense, the first big man back on defense, you're going to get a lot of rebounds and you're going to get a lot of easy baskets. And uh, nobody ran the court any better than he did uh, once once he got the taste of uh, uh, what the results would be. You know, you took over uh, a Rockets team that had won 14 games in 82-83, in a uh, massive rebuilding project. You came in with the knowledge that they'd be taking Ralph. Uh, but in a span of 13 months, uh, you guys added two of the most, uh, you know, heralded college centers of any era. What, what was going through your mind when you won the coin toss to get Akeem Olajuwon? Well, I have to, I have to give the, the, the credit to Tracy, uh, Charlie, Charlie's daughter uh, won won that flip. We got to give her a little credit, but I think that uh, knowing that we had both of those guys, uh, you know, right away, uh, uh, people were come. What are you going to do with two? And uh, I thought that uh, we were going to be able to play both of them uh, together, and uh, that's where the twin towers. Uh, somebody tacked that onto them, but uh, it was it was a good it was a good deal as long as Ralph stayed healthy we could do that and uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people uh, uh, you know the second third years uh, Ralph was really really down in the knee and uh, wasn't the player that uh, uh, that came out of college it'd been I think he'd had that knee <laughs> I think he'd had that knee aspirated several times uh, during his collegiate career and it was getting to a point where uh, he couldn't uh, do the things that uh, he was normally used to doing. The one thing he never lost, though, Ralph could take the ball off the boards and make the best outlet pass of any of the centers I had. And, I mean, I've the good Lord blessed me with an awful lot of good centers, but none of them, uh, none of them made that outlet pass any better than Ralph did. You know, I imagine at that time as well, you guys were probably flooded with trade offers. You know, Keem Olajuwon, uh, mentioned in his autobiography that uh, one of the offers that he uh, was under the impression was that that Portland had offered Clyde Drexler, who was drafted the year before, and and the number two pick of that draft, which would have been used to take Jordan. That's sort of of a myth that goes around. In your uh, view, was that a trade that was offered, or were were there just a ton of trade offers coming in for the, you guys? The only time I ever heard about that one is when I just talked to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there were. There were rumors about a lot of trades, but no. Once they were all rumors because none of them, no one ever put anything across my desk. And as far as I know, anybody put a serious offer across Ray Patterson's desk that he would have passed on to me uh, about uh, making a trade. Uh, the only time a trade came up is when we, when we 
didn't tell the world, but we knew that Ralph uh, was 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 going to be short careered, and uh, we made our deal with uh, with Don Nelson, who's probably never forgiven me. And uh, then uh, the next the next year, uh, Don traded him to Sacramento. But uh, had Ralph stayed healthy, he'd have been every bit as good as as any of them that come along the line. But his his legs just didn't hold up. You know, speaking of Ralph, he had six inches on Akeem, yet he moved to the power forward spot. Was that an easy decision? And what does that really say about him, in your opinion? Well, Ralph had 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 uh, liked to face up and, and be away from the basket, and he didn't have the weight to, to go down and play with the big boys. And uh, Akeem liked it, liked it around the board. He was at home down there, uh, and. Uh, as you as you well know, he developed a, a great great deal of moves, a number of moves, and and uh, became very efficient at uh, the the short period around there, and then moving down out on the baseline, uh, he he became a, a very good uh, guy to take it into. And once we we got him out of the black hole uh, syndrome, and he he realized that a lot of times he'd get open. If he got rid of the ball, then they could give it back to him. Uh, at first, uh, we had a lot of trouble. On once he got it in there, there was nobody going to stop him, and he forced up a, a few shots. That later on, uh, uh, he managed to uh, develop a better shot or a better situation for himself. You know, you saw as well Akeem Olajuwon evolve from a rookie. I mean, I think my early impressions just watching him seemed to be. Uh, quite a bit more hot-headed, uh, more of a raw player coming in. Uh, what were your early impressions of him when you got him into camp as, as a rookie, and how much did he change over his career, in your view? Well, he was, you know, he was a he was a young young player, uh, and he, he had a lot of success at, at Houston uh, uh, at, at the college level, doing a lot with his natural ability and what what it took to be a good college player. And uh, you know the, the coaches out there did a terrific uh, job with him, uh, enough to get a coach into the Hall of Fame very deservedly. And uh, when we got him, he still had like I used to used to tell in banquets a lot of times that uh, the, the the barrier, the English barrier, was still there. He was still being Americanized. And if we were we were working out in the morning, running a scrimmage, and I'd say, okay, now run the back door, he then he'd, he'd at, head for the exit. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think the Western Conference Finals in 86 were just the 85-86 team in general. I think you guys deserve a tremendous amount of credit. The the popularity of the NBA in general was starting to to increase, but I think that's when the city of Houston really fell in love with the Houston Rockets. I think that's certainly uh, the case in my, in, in my instance. But that, that Western Conference Finals, when you guys went up against the Lakers, just a, a dynasty team, they just rolled in game one. Kareem scored 31 against the Twin Towers. Uh, Magic had almost a triple-double. I think he went for 26 points, 18 assists, and, and uh, six, seven boards, something like that. What changed in that series from there? You guys famously went on to, to win the next four games. What, what changed from there? I think fatigue. You know, we came off. We, we came right out of Denver and went directly to play uh, game one in L.A. And... Uh, they got a 12-point lead, and that's the way the game ended. I think 12 points. Uh, we just didn't we didn't have the Powder River, and we made a couple adjustments. Uh, we made a, a, a big.
big adjustment that I didn't think they they really ever adjusted to. We we moved uh, Ryder McRae into a, a, a different situation that put a different uh, look and uh, what we were doing and, and what they had to do defensively. And uh, I think that uh, that was important. And then momentum is a big thing. And, and uh, when we came back uh, w- with that uh, last-second shot that Ralph made, uh, I think it kind of put us, put us in, a, in a high confidence and probably knocked them down a little bit in confidence. And when we knew we were getting them back home and we only had to beat them, beat them once, it was... Uh, it was kind of a, and then Sonny did us get the job done. And I think the guys, uh, uh, we 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 were playing a team that was loaded with Hall of Famers, and and they had a great team, and we just caught them uh, caught them with what we were doing. And uh, I think that uh, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of factors that may may maybe we don't even know about. Uh, I've heard rumors that Magic was not playing it. A hundred percent, but we—you'd never know it from what you just mentioned. Game one, uh, he was—he was, he was uh, eating us up. You know, and then you guys famously went on to to play the Celtics, a team that you had coached uh, previously, and considered by many to be the, the greatest in NBA history. Challenged, perhaps, uh, you know, by the '96 Bulls and those Lakers that you guys had knocked off just before then. You know, you beat them in five. The Lakers. You took Boston to six before falling. And I should point out that Boston, I believe, was eleven and one coming in into playoffs, coming into that series. Yet you guys were missing your starting point guard. How, how important uh, was John Lucas to that eighty-five, eighty-six team? It was very important to us, and uh, was it was we were we were a different team with him. But uh, I've got to give uh, Alan Level and Robert Reed a. a give them a lot of credit at the time they really we didn't fall off too far because of the of the way that they filled in for for john but uh john lucas was one heck of a player and and uh one of the, the best things that that uh, came along the line was the fact that he was able to to lick his problem and come back and help others and uh, make a success out of his life uh, he's really done well considering uh the, the direction that a lot of people had his problem have gone the other way. You know, you have a unique insight into Kevin McHale, having coached him his first three seasons in the NBA. Looking back then, did you see him getting into coaching today? <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing. Uh, no, I didn't. I, I think that uh, when he first came to us, uh, he was uh, the he had a lot of. He was still very, very energetic, and he had a lot of talent. I love the talent. In fact, uh, uh, I really think that uh, you know, having coached the University of Minnesota, I probably knew more about Kevin than anybody because any time he, if he spit on the sidewalk or he did something uh, to the to the positive side, I'd hear about it and get, had, a, had a lot of information on him. And he was represented by. Uh, his his rep his rep was a lawyer that had represented me while I was at the University of Minnesota, so I knew a lot about Kevin. And Kevin was his hardest practice came after we said, "Okay, practice is over." He wasn't always when he came. He wasn't always. Uh, I guess he was his talent was so good that he he just didn't realize he had to get better to play in this league. But uh, between me and actually the policeman was uh, Larry Bird. 
bird would would not stand for anybody playing with him that wasn't uh, running and working and doing it all. And I think uh, between uh, Bird and myself and uh, the the fact that Kevin was an intelligent guy and saw how tough it was to play in the league, he became a very good player. And and actually, his he, I think he became a very good practice player. But it took a while. Yeah, and it's interesting, you talk about his talent level. Uh, you know, currently McHale has been criticized by some fans, and unfairly, I, I would say, but for putting Jeremy Lin on the bench, uh, alternating right now, testing out Patrick Beverly as a starting point guard here in the preseason. Uh, as you know, McHale, for the majority of his first uh, five years in the league, and you coached him his first three, uh, he came off the bench. And he has said time and time again that starting is not important to him. What matters is who finishes uh, you, you won an NBA championship with him, coached him those first three years. Was that a difficult adjustment uh, for McHale? You talk about his talent level. Who, a guy who was taken third overall in the draft, considered ready to go prospect, yet he's coming off the, the bench majority of his first several years. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, difficult at all, really. Uh, first of all, I've always been a believer that if you can substitute off your bench and and be as good as you were when you started. You're going to win. You're going to win most of your ball games. Hmm. Uh, 1976 in Cleveland, the year of the miracle with Cleveland, uh, we come off the bench with with uh, four guys. We were going nine deep, and uh, we were we were knocking everybody out, and would have probably won the championship that year if Jim Jones hadn't uh, been hurt and not and not ever playing the in the last series. But if you if you look at the guy coming off the bench with Kevin, he was a he was a rookie. And uh, we're still, he still was not going to beat uh, uh, Cedric Maxwell out because Maxwell would bring a gun to practice, make sure he didn't. But uh, <laughs> I think that uh, uh, it was an easier thing uh, for him to accept, too, because he was a rookie. But as we went through his career, uh, he became, in fact, he made the Sixth Man Award mean something, where guys were happy to sit on the bench because they they wanted to get that award that McHale had picked up. And uh, when Kevin was at Boston, he owned the six-man award as long as he wanted to, to, to sit over there. And, uh, you know, I think Howard, if you look back at Howard's experience with, with practices and with coaches and things that have gone on and what, what happened in L.A., uh, Kevin should be, should be, through experience, should be a, a very good match for Howard and and uh, and I hope that uh, uh he can bring out uh, the the talent that uh, uh hasn't come out of Howard uh, as much as people expect. You know you mentioned Howard the Rockets sort of have a a similar twin tower issue though I would not say that they uh, Omar Ashik is quite the the caliber of player of a Ralph Sampson or Kim Olajuwon, but uh, certainly they, the Rockets have two starting centers uh, guys probably considered top 10 if not higher. Uh, in the league at that position. Can you play Omar Ashik and Dwight Howard together, uh, in your opinion? I mean, obviously you've had that uh, that uh, dilemma, if you will, in, in the past of starting two centers. Well, you know, I, have, I haven't run them baseline to baseline uh, together. and, and uh, But if they can get up and down the floor, that first man back, first man up, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, the big kid... Uh, not Howard so much, but is a great shot blocker, and uh, I, I look for for it to be a ten to twenty minute success in any ball game. Hmm. And uh, there's another 
uh, it's it's something that you're talking about. Can the Rockets adjust? Uh, I've always thought, hey, I'm not worried about uh, us adjusting. It's going to make it awful tough on those teams that come in and have to play you and adjust because uh, uh, you may be the only Twin Tower uh, outfit going. And uh, uh, you've got a couple guys there that can block shots. And I'll tell you, when you look at all the close ball games that are won and lost, uh, uh, shot blocking becomes a very important uh, tool and a very important factor in a lot of wins. Absolutely. You know, it's a, a pleasure to have you on, and I, I'm really looking forward to this. Tonight uh, on CSN Houston at 7 p.m., uh, a conversation with Bill Fitch debuts. It's it's part one of a, a two-part series, and I believe you, you sit down with, with Bill Worrell and talk about uh, the, those 80 Celtics and, and Rockets teams. Uh, really looking forward to that. What, what should we expect to see in that tonight? Well, if Worrell is running it, uh, you'll see a lot of Worrell. <laughs> <laughs> Just give him a plug. Uh, I, I think that uh, you know Bill. Bill asked a lot of questions that, that you asked, and uh, I probably uh, uh, sit there and do the best I can to answer uh, the questions that were fired at me. But uh, it's an easy interview, and you know he and I go back all the way back to the beginning, and and uh, hopefully I, I haven't seen it. Uh, uh, if Warrell doesn't send me a copy, you know we don't we don't get it up here. Uh, we're still part of the the legal system that's going on. Sure. But, uh, if uh, if if Worrell doesn't uh, uh, send me a copy of it, well, then it'll be the last interview he does. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it. Anytime you're talking basketball and you're talking about some of the the guys like with with Bird, uh, I'm sure he'll come into it. Uh, Larry, that uh, number one in my my category. You know, they say, well, how can you put him ahead of Elijah on? Uh, Bird to me, I could beat him in a foot race, and and he he made more of his talent and made more people around him from day one better players than any player I ever coached. It certainly, was uh, just watching him. It was uh, tough to go up against him. I'm sure, and obviously having coached him and faced him in the NBA Finals, you have an extremely unique insight into his career. Bill Fitch, thank you so much. Uh, like I said, it was truly an honor to have you on and uh, appreciate all the, the insight. Good job, Dave. You did a good job and lots of luck down the way. Thank you so much. Take care. Yeah, you bet. Bye.